Sober Powered is sponsored by BetterHelp. I was a stress drinker, and I thought, if only I didn't have so much stress, I wouldn't have to drink this much. But do you know why I had all this stress? Because I didn't have the skills to take stressors off my plate, so they built up and wore me down. Some stressors are big and others are small, but carrying around 25 minor annoyances is going to have an impact on you. Plus, did you know that alcohol messes with our stress response system and decreases our ability to handle stress? It makes small things seem like a much bigger deal. Learning how to manage stress and take things off my plate has changed my life. I'm calm, I'm less reactive, and I believe that I can handle whatever comes my way. I feel proud of the way that I handle things now. You can get there too. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com sober to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp. H-E-L-P dot com slash sober. Tossing and turning all night like a salad. It's time to put those sleepless nights to bed for good. Enter Tanasi, my sleep saviors, and they have science to back up their sleep, anxiety, and pain-relieving powers. Back in 2016, they invested a $2.5 million grant to Middle Tennessee State University to study the hemp plant. Turns out their special patent-pending CBD-CBDA formula is twice as effective as CBD alone and can be more effective than over-the-counter ibuprofen, acetaminophen, and aspirin. So if you're tired of tossing and turning like a rotisserie chicken, then Tanasi's got your back with their range of great products from tinctures to gummies to lotions. Tanasi is my go-to when I can't sleep or I have way too much anxiety. I'm so glad that I discovered them. So go to Tanasi.com and use the code POWER to get 25% off your order. That's Tanasi.com, T-A-N-A-S-I, to get 25% off your first order with the promo code POWER. Are you tired of your digestive system feeling like a circus act gone wrong? Introducing Ritual's 3-in-1 Gut Superhero Symbiotic Plus, a probiotic, prebiotic, and postbiotic all rolled into one. And with 25% off with the code POWER, there's no better time to check out Ritual. Let's break it down. Probiotics are like the cool kids at the gut party, keeping everything in check and making sure the good vibes are flowing. Prebiotics are their wingmen, fueling the party with all the right snacks to keep the good bacteria thriving. And postbiotics, well, they're like the cleanup crew, sweeping away the mess and leaving your gut feeling fresh and fabulous. So say goodbye to the gut drama and remember, there's no more shame in your gut game. Symbiotic Plus and Ritual are here to celebrate, not hide your insides. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com power. I'm Jill, and this is the Sober Powered Podcast. I'll tell you how I finally stopped chasing the buzz and what I've learned along the way. Welcome back to the Sober Powered Podcast. What I want to talk about today has actually been requested by a few of my listeners. So today I'm going to talk about sugar. So why do we want all the sugar when we stop drinking? In my experience, I never really cared that much about sugar. I cared a lot about it when I was younger, before I started drinking. And as soon as I started drinking, 
it was something that I could pass on every single time. I just never really wanted it. I would rather have like more food or more alcohol than sugar. It didn't do anything for me. But once I stopped drinking, all of a sudden, I wanted chocolate, cookies, and ice cream. I see this a lot on sober Facebook groups. People will talk about problem with sugar that's developing or like weight gain or something like that. And it got me really interested in this topic. The most common explanation that I've seen for why sober people become sugar obsessed is that alcoholic drinks are very sugary, specifically wine. So we crave sugar because our bodies are used to consuming it. This is partially true, but there's actually a deeper explanation that I want to get into in this episode. Um, So it has to do a lot with dopamine and our brains, of course. So our bodies are designed to reward us with hits of dopamine when we do something that promotes our survival. So this is why sleep, sex, eating, and drinking water all feel so good because it's keeping you alive and your brain is rewarding you for that. So back when food was scarce, we had a survival instinct to seek out calorie-dense food for our survival. And something that's really calorie-dense is sugar. So when we consume sugar, we get a powerful dopamine response that keeps us coming back for more sugar. And sugar cravings, they really gave us an evolutionary advantage because sugar would promote fat storage. So if food wasn't available for a bit, we had something to kind of get us through. But now that we have no issues getting food, it's becoming a problem. So studies have shown that eating sugar causes our brain to release dopamine, which makes us feel good. So I read a study published in 2010 And I want to share this quote with you. So the researchers said, the neurobiological pathways of drug and sugar addiction involve similar neural receptors, neurotransmitters, and hedonic regions in the brain. Craving, tolerance, withdrawal, and sensitization have been documented in both human and animal studies. In addition, there appears to be cross-sensitization between sugar addiction and narcotic dependence in some individuals. So as always, I will link all these studies on the Sober Powered blog if you want to read them for yourself. They're actually really interesting. What cross-sensitization means is it's when you expose yourself to one drug and it renders you hypersensitive to another drug. So if you have a problem with cocaine, you might also have a problem with sugar just because they produce similar responses in the body. So think about things that act the same way. So if I have a problem with drinking, I'm not going to go pick up an upper because alcohol is a depressant. So you kind of go along with things that do the same thing to your brain. So that's cross-sensitization. So your problem with one drug makes you more sensitive to similar drugs. What this means to me is that we're replacing abusing alcohol with overeating sugar. So it makes us feel good in a similar way to alcohol by releasing endorphins and triggering dopamine in the brain. And it can also become the new reward after a long day of work. 
So I spoke a lot in episode one about conditioning and how we condition ourselves to want alcohol. And we can replace that conditioning with wanting sugar. So sugar becomes the new reward after a long day of work. It becomes the new way to celebrate or the new way to treat yourself. And you're conditioning yourself to need it or to expect it. Um, so I have, I have a lot of science that I want to talk to you guys about. Um, so I had this podcast actually all set to go. I was ready to record. I had all my info. And then this morning, another question popped up in my mind. So I started researching it. And three and a half hours later, I have a ton more info for you. So let's dig in. So several animal studies have shown that rats will actually prefer sugar over cocaine. So this type of study has been done in two ways. So they'll they'll give the rats unlimited access to cocaine and sugar and the rats choose sugar. But the more interesting version of the study is they get rats addicted to cocaine first and then they provide them with unlimited access to sugar and unlimited access to cocaine and they give up the cocaine of their own free will to go to the sugar. This is really interesting to me. It's not even that they have a little bit of cocaine and a little bit of sugar, both are good. They totally give up the cocaine like it's you know not even worth their time and they go straight to the sugar. So what this study concluded is that the reward for sugar can surpass the reward of cocaine and that sugar produces more symptoms than is required to be considered an addictive substance. So these symptoms would be binging, craving, tolerance, withdrawal, cross-sensitization, reward, and other things like that. Sugar has more of these symptoms than is required to be considered addictive. So I want to talk more about dopamine. So I alluded to this at the beginning of the podcast, but this all has to do with dopamine. So dopamine is our neurotransmitter that makes us feel good. So it's part of the reward system and it's released when our body is anticipating a reward. So just like I spoke about in episode three, when we talked about cravings, dopamine is released just in the anticipation of getting a drink or in the case of this episode in the anticipation of eating sugar. So I gave you guys the analogy about going to the bar and you put in your drink order and you immediately feel calm and relaxed, but you didn't even have anything to drink yet. And that's because just the anticipation of that reward, that drink, releases dopamine in our brain. So not even having the thing, just knowing that we're going to get the thing is enough to cause our brain chemistry to change and have more dopamine and more feel-good neurotransmitters in our brain. So this dopamine release creates more cravings and reinforces our belief that whatever it is we're seeking out is good for us because it makes us feel good. So like I said in the beginning of this episode, our reward system is evolutionarily designed to promote our survival. So when we do things that are good for our survival, it feels good for us. And drugs and alcohol hijack this reward system. So every time you use your drug of choice, you feel really, really good. And sugar acts the same way. It hits the same areas of the brain that drugs and alcohol do. 
So I think that's really interesting. And I have some cool MRI images and, and other pieces of data from what I've read to show you guys in the next few days on the Sober Powered Instagram. So as I was researching this, I became interested, like, how is this dopamine hit even happening? Like, what's even going on there? So there's a main part of our brain right in the middle. It's called the ventral tegmental area. I'm just going to call it the VTA. So it's right in the middle of our brain, and it receives information from other areas of the brain to tell it how our needs are being fulfilled. So it's getting information about like how we're taking care of these things that we're supposed to do for survival. So the VTA will then send this information to the nucleus accumbens, which you've probably heard me say a lot by now. So that area of the brain is really important in terms of hijacking the reward pathway and in addiction. So we'll continue to talk about the nucleus accumbens a lot. So the VTA, I said, is sending a message to the nucleus accumbens, and parts of the brain send messages through neurotransmitters. So remember, in episode one, I, I told you how neurotransmitters are how neurons communicate with each other. I described the entire process, but basically neurons, which are brain cells, will release neurotransmitters to send a message to another neuron or to send a message to another part of the brain. So the VTA sends this message about our needs being fulfilled through the neurotransmitter dopamine. So if we do something that the VTA thinks is fulfilling a need or promoting our survival, it's going to send dopamine to the nucleus accumbens. And when dopamine is present in the nucleus accumbens, it makes us feel good and it reinforces this behavior. So this is where addiction issues can develop. So you're, you're reinforcing it from how good it feels. So I read another rat study from 2015, and in this study, they gave the rats no access to food for 12 hours, and then they would give them 12-hour access to a 10% sugar solution and food. And what they found was over the course of a few weeks, the rats gradually increased their sugar intake from 37 to 112 milliliters per day. So that's a lot of sugar just to be eating for these little guys. So they started off the first day of this experiment, they had only 37 milliliters. Only a few weeks later, they almost quadrupled that. So the researchers also found that dopamine levels in the nucleus accumbens increased by 130%. So that's a huge increase during the course of this study. So the more sugar that these rats ate, the more dopamine was released in the nucleus accumbens. So the VTA was sending signals that they're fulfilling a need, fulfilling a need, and sending dopamine out to the nucleus accumbens, and it's making them feel good. So it's reinforcing their desire to eat sugar. Other studies done on rats have found that rats binge on sugar once sugar addiction has been established. Like if they're not able to have access to sugar for 
some amount of time, as soon as they get access to it, in the first hour, they will binge on it. And animals, like, they don't, they don't really binge. Like, they don't need to do that. And I think it's really interesting that researchers find that when their, their brain chemistry gets messed up by sugar addiction, they start binging and having withdrawal and developing a tolerance. It's very interesting. So another rat study from 2010 gave the rats access to something called a cafeteria diet. So this means that they had a selection of delicious, energy-dense food to choose from. So the rats had free reign of the cafeteria. They could choose whatever they wanted to eat. So naturally, the rats gained some weight. And they also demonstrated compulsive eating behavior. And what this study found that was really cool, and something I will talk about later on, is that these rats had less dopamine receptors when they gain weight. So remember, a receptor is where something can bind. So dopamine has its own receptor that it can bind to. I read some human studies too, and the researchers in that study found that dopamine receptors decreased in obese individuals in proportion to their BMI. So as they gained weight, they had less dopamine receptors. And I'll tell you what that means to have less receptors in a moment. Another study, which was done on mice, they all had the same food but some mice had less dopamine receptors than others. Everything about their conditions were the same. They were presented with the same food at the same time for the same duration, but some mice had less dopamine receptors in their brain than the other mice. And what they found was that the mice that had less dopamine receptors gained more weight. I'll remind you that's very similar to the human studies that found that dopamine receptors decrease in obese individuals in proportion to their BMI. So as humans gain weight, our dopamine receptors decrease. So if you remember from episode one, I talked a lot about anxiety and how as we abuse alcohol, our number of GABA receptors decrease. So when receptors decrease, it makes it hard for something to bind. So in the case of GABA, when you have less receptors available, less GABA can bind. So you get less calming feeling. And that's why we have anxiety when we're not drinking. Um, and this is the same exact thing that happens with dopamine receptors. So as you abuse sugar, drugs, alcohol, your brain will decrease the amount of dopamine receptors that are available to bind. So less dopamine receptors means that it's harder to get that high feeling, and that's basically tolerance. So the mice eat more sugar to try to get that high, and that's why they gain more weight. So an alternative explanation to developing a problem with food, alcohol, or drugs is that people with low levels of dopamine receptors are more vulnerable to addictive behavior. So this is something that I'm really, really interested in that I'm going to continue to investigate, but for the sake of timeliness, I'm not going to talk about it right now, but that study where the mice had all the same conditions. The only difference was the number of dopamine receptors they had. That was really interesting 
to me because I'm someone who immediately could not control my drinking from the very first time that I drank. And I also had food issues when I was younger and I still can't keep certain foods in my house for risk of binging on them. So this makes me wonder if I just happen to have less dopamine receptors. So I overeat and overdrink in attempts to get the same pleasure that normal people would get. So it is a fact that chronic heavy drinking and overeating both decrease the number of dopamine receptors in the brain leading to addiction and tolerance. But for people like me who started out with a problem, I wonder if there's another explanation. So this is something that I'll have to fill you guys in on the future as I learn more about it. So I want to close this episode by talking about transfer addiction. So transfer addiction is when you use another addictive substance to replace the void left from abstaining from your original addiction. So in other words, it's using another substance or behavior to compensate for the discomfort that you're feeling from giving up your original problem. Many women struggle with both eating issues or eating disorders and alcohol abuse. That's a form of transfer addiction. Another common one, the whole purpose of this episode, is giving up drinking and replacing it with tons of sugar. So sex, overspending, porn, binge eating, doesn't have to be sugar. Those are all common transfer addictions. So the suggestion that I read is to avoid sugar entirely so that you don't replace one problem with another. And that's obviously good advice because, you know, sugar isn't good for us. But sometimes that's really not realistic. Um, If you're someone who's finding that sugar is becoming your new alcohol, I encourage you to take a break and just see what happens, see how you feel, see if it's becoming a problem. In the Sober Powered Facebook group, we actually just completed a sugar strike where we gave up sugar for four days. We're going to do it one week per month, you know, just to be mindful of transfer addiction and and overeating sugar. And for me, with my history of unhealthy eating habits and alcohol abuse, I really don't want to like force myself to give up another thing. So sugar was never really a big issue for me. I'm eating all the sugar right now because, you know, quarantine and I can, but I have successfully been able to give it up before and I did during the sugar strike without much issue. So I think for me, a sugar-free week every month is a really great strategy. For other people, it might look like almost never having sugary junk or maybe just like limiting it to the weekend. So it's totally up to you what you decide to do for your own life. Just be mindful of the phenomenon of transfer addiction because it really, really can happen and we are susceptible to it, especially in the beginning of recovery. So I'd love to know what you guys think. What did you think of these studies? What do you think about dopamine receptors decreasing in response to an increasing BMI? I thought that was so cool. What do you think about mice that have less dopamine receptors gaining more weight than the other mice? All of this is so cool. So DM me, we can chat about it or comment on any of the Sober Powered Instagram posts. Thank you for listening. I appreciate it.
I'm Madeline, and I'm the host of the Happiest Sober Podcast. I got sober in my 20s after a decade of gray area drinking, and the greatest plot twist of all time was realizing that alcohol, the thing that I thought made my life the most happy and fun and exciting, was actually the exact thing preventing me from living my happiest and best life. My mom is 40 years sober, and she joins me on my podcast very often. I like to call her my part-time co-host, and I also bring you solo episodes where I share my top tips, tricks, and mindset shifts in sobriety, and lots of how to's for navigating all the things sober from weddings to parties to holidays to bachelorette parties to trips i'm also joined by so many guests who come on and share their sober stories and they're all so so inspiring i'm here to show you that life doesn't end when you quit drinking in fact it's very much the opposite and no matter what your relationship was with alcohol life can be the absolute happiest when you're sober new episodes come out every tuesday you can listen to happiest sober podcast wherever you get your podcasts